Folks, back here with uh, my boy Assembly member Christopher Constant. Hey, good afternoon. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing really great today. How about, what's going on? How long have we been talking? You're tired because of last night's meeting went to midnight. You know, we had our third meeting in a row that went to midnight. That's for sure the first time that's happened since I, I've been on the body. And I was there. It was crazy. I came for another uh, reason and I ended up stumbling upon something fucking incredible, which I don't think you can talk about because it was... A quasi-judicial hearing thing, right? Yeah, but it's no, his I mean, weed issue yeah, exactly. with his church, and yeah. it was. Um, I came for another e- issue, and now I've stumbled upon something pretty incredible. So I hope you dig in and tell S- that story. Stay tuned for a landmine exclusive on that. That'd be a good one. Um, I appreciate you brought me a Christopher Constant uh, reusable shopping bag. Thank Amen. You for, thank you for that. It's time. I've been meaning to get my landmine shopping reusable bag, so we're we're behind on that, but it's it's going to happen. I'm looking forward to having one. So you're coming up to your onto uh, your first term on the Anchorage Assembly, right? Yep, about six months to go. Remember, you had those the superhero shirt, or I you, did. It wasn't gonna... a shirt; it was a comic. But yeah, I'm thinking about what to do for that part of the campaign. Absolutely, got to talk with Lee Post, my Spinardian you friend. You got to play with a constant, like like the old one had the compass, right? Or the was it the what was it? The the, the wheel, the wheel, your your hoodie. Uh, yeah, exactly. It definitely was it a wheel. It was the was same. It? it was the yeah. same as this bag. I, I, I like that. You should. You should. Do something like sometimes constant. I don't know, like never, always, never constant. Uh, maybe it's hard. It's hard. Try not to be cliche. Constant speaks for itself. That's right. Yep. So what's it? I mean, what's it been like? You've been there for you know almost you know years. It is the coolest and worst job ever. You know, you're pretty poorly paid, so you have to work a regular job unless you're retired or independently wealthy. What's the pay like? Twenty some thousand bucks. Exactly. And, and because how much you guys? I mean, I've talked to other people, Forrest and. Um, Weddle, I mean, it's like 40, it's like you can be working 30, 40 hours a week, right? Depends on the week, sometimes a lot more. I had somebody at one of our debates the other day say, we should listen to the experts because this is a part-time job. I looked, my head kind of snapped because this is only a part-time job if you aren't doing everything that you need to be doing because there are people calling, there are demands, there are meetings after meetings after meetings, and then there's the formal work. Yeah, I think a lot of the public doesn't realize there's the every other Tuesday meeting, but there's these work sessions they're yep. happening all the time. There's Every the, the Friday, all day long. Homelessness task force meeting. There's the, you know, there's planning and zoning meetings. Yep. There's all community kind of, council meetings. Five of them a month. Right, and then and then there's um, all the you know, if to answer their constituents are contacting you, I'm sure. You know, I had four contacts today, and you're the only guy for down. That's the other thing that's right now going on. They're trying to. There's one assembly member district with one person, which is downtown. It's been that way forever. It was supposed to originally rotate, correct? Right. It started in Eagle River as the single member district back in 1975, but in 1985, it rotated to the downtown and never left, creating a terrible uh, situation where the downtown has long been left with unequal representation. Wasn't Patrick Flynn chair at one point? He was. So, I mean, how can you be chair and be, I mean, because everybody else has another person they can rely on in the district in the district right yeah absolutely i could be chair if my peers decided i wanted they wanted me to anybody could be the chair it's a majority it's, of the body. it's just harder when it's one person exactly because the, the duties of the chair keep your hands pretty full so what's i mean now there's a an attempt to, to either is it to move it or just to add add somebody else so, there's- so we approved at the prior meeting not this last one but the one three weeks ago now 
a charter amendment proposal to the voters, which would add a 12th member to the assembly. And that member would start after the census and the state realignments are done. It's like Seattle, the 12th man. Exactly. We're the, we have the 12th. Or, it's a real... Twelfth woman, but oh, you know. oh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go into that in a we second. Are, yeah, we're gonna but, go into that in a second. Still, I have to say, it could be oh, either one. Oh man, here we go, here we go. And uh, so, with that in mind, yeah, it would add at the after that a twelfth member. We would have to reapportion the districts because the downtown district would have to get larger. Currently, it has roughly twenty five thousand residents, whereas every other district has somewhere around fifty. So it has proportional representation. But the fact is, when you have uh, two members versus one member that can never be equal. I can't be sick. I can't take a holiday. I can't, you know, have someone who doesn't like me. Otherwise, they have no representation or a conflict of interest. If a matter of business before the body is something that's personal to me, then I can't vote. My neighbors have nobody. Every other district has two. And there's a second point in my district. My neighbors only get one chance every three years to stand up and serve our community as a representative elective, elected to the assembly. Yeah, everybody else gets every other year. They I get two, two, times two, two times every, every three, three years. years yeah. right? Look, so at me. You, Look at me. If you compound that, that is some 20 opportunities missed by my neighbors that every other neighbor has. However, the most important piece, and people don't really think about this, is that we've set up our seats in the staggered terms. So... Each district that has two has a benefit that the downtown has a detriment. And the detriment is this. Every three, six, or nine years, whether it's because I decide not to run, I'm beat at the ballot box, or I'm termed out, I have to leave, and the person who comes in has no relationship with the administration, the department heads, the bureaucracy. And so every other district maintains those relationships over time. And those relationships are what make your term work, make your ability to respond to your constituent needs happen because right now there's 11 people on the assembly so so this next year there's five people up the following year there's a mayor there's a mayoral or 20 yeah 20 so this there's it basically it's five six mayoral race exactly right? yeah so every every three years it's only the mayoral race. so there'll be six up for election this time okay so last time it was five yeah so five six the mayor, mayoral race yep um speaking of mayoral race i mean there seems to be some uh talk about that lately forrest dunbar filed yep Officially, there's been there's been people talking about you doing it. There's been t- people talking about Aircroft. There's been people talking about Ivy Svonhol. I mean, it seems like, and I've talked about this with Forrest Dunbar. We did a podcast. It seems like it's almost the opposite of 15 when there was all these Republicans fighting over, and probably that had something to do with it was a Republican mayor, right? So you know that that that's a factor, I think. But but now there's a you know kind of a Democratic. I know it's nonpartisan, but Ethan, Ethan's a Democrat mayor, and now it seems like there, there's a start of a of a what could be a progressive fight. Uh, and there's really nobody on the conservative side, the Republican side, that has um, expressed any interest. And I don't even know. I can't even really think of anybody. I agree with you. And I mean, it's interesting. Like, I have told folks that I reserve the right to jump into the race if I find a reason to. At this time, I have to run for reelection. And I'm actually happy with my job. Uh, but that said, I'm going to be at the table when those conversations are happening because that's where policies are set for the next three years. That also said, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody who puts their hat into the ring and having a broad conversation. If you go to APOC, you'll see that there are actually a couple other people who've signed up to run already. Uh, people who I don't really know. But, yeah, you're, you're always going to have Yeah, But have it's that. happening. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, it's, it's the only person whose really name has been mentioned, and I don't think would really have a shot at it, is Lance Pruitt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I had a conversation with, with Forrest Dunbar about this. There's really not, I mean, as, as far as conservatives or kind of Republicans in the city that could run for mayor, the only person who come to me to me for come, who comes to mind would be Kevin Meyer, and he's you know lieutenant governor. Yeah, as far as somebody who's kind of 
has kind of a name I'd known, been around. He was on the assembly, right? right. He has all. He was in the legislature. Um, there's really, there's really not. I mean, the only two current conservatives on the assembly are Fred Dyson and Crystal Kennedy, right? And I don't think they're looking to run for. Like, right? No, I, th- I actually don't know that Fred's going to run for re-election at this point. I think he's looking for a way out, and uh, so that means the race out in Eagle River should be interesting this coming year. You might, you might have uh, Jamie, Jamie Aller there with you on the assembly. I don't know Jamie. That'll get lit. Oh, interesting. She's a Laura Reinbold disciple. She oh. uh, ran against uh, Kelly Merrick, right? Uh, when the three-way primary, right? And sh- she's um, very. Let's just say she'd bring a very entertaining... Uh, I don't think you'd be friends with her like you were with Amy. You know, I get along fine with Crystal and Fred both, too. I really love Amy, though. Uh, we spent a lot of time thinking about things and talking about things. Jamie's just kind of, uh, I don't know, she's a very um, very intense individual. She, we were at a Eagle River Republican meeting once mm-hmm. where they were trying to replace you know, the Sharon Jackson thing, and right. she basically started accusing me of being some... I don't know, it was bizarre. You know, there's been many examples of her getting very kind of, I think, takes it very personally, all this stuff. So speaking of Eagle River, since you brought it up, interesting topic, Eagle Exit. They're having a meeting oh this week. Oh, my God, Eagle Exit. Are you going out there for when, the meeting? When is it? It's on the 7th. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm going yeah, and Tell so, me, I'm going to put my calendar right now. When, when is it? Hold on just a minute. I'll November 7th? Yeah, it's on the 7th for sure. So are, and, are they getting some funding from some religious group from Texas? Lord, I don't know. Are they trying to turn Eagle River into a theocracy? What's going on over yeah, there? I don't really know the details, but I do know that the Eklutna Community Council just sent to us a resolution opposing Eagle Exit and saying we did not sign on to that campaign. That's a lie, basically. And so already now we have a, a respected Eagle River community body speaking up to say, hey, don't use us in your campaign for whatever it is you're trying to do. And so, yeah. So, so what's that? What, what's the actual, is there a mechanism for, for breaking away, I guess? I, I really don't think so. They tried to way back at the time of the unification and they were schooled at the Supreme Court. I said, say, you no, know what? You don't I have say, the right to do this. I say, fuck them, let them go. And then, and then when they have the problems, don't come to us. Well, and that's really the problem right at the beginning is, okay, so Anchorage has invested massively in schools and other facilities out there. Yeah. How how do you pay us for those schools? They also have in their mind <clears throat> that because the state house boundary includes Muldoon, that they would have some right to take the Tikatnu Mall in the corner of well, Muldoon into Eagle River. And I also, th- I also think it's a, fr- fr- I don't know if fringe is the right word, but I, I do not think it's a majority support. I have friends who live out there who have said if, th- if this actually were to happen, they're moving to Anchorage. Of course, because I mean, so their it's, taxes it's, would quadruple. It's it's not, um, I, I don't, if it was a vote right now, I, I think it'd be it would be 70%. Fail. No, I agree. And you know who's running that campaign? Uh, the Michael Tavalero guy. That's involved. exactly and, and who's running. That he's the guy campaign. who got voted down for being on the real estate because he had this thirty-year gap in his resume. And I was there in Juneau when this was going on, and Gabrielle Ledoux described it as "quote the strangest confirmation hearing she's ever taken part in." Exactly. So that just you know. When you think about Eagle Exit, that's what you can think about. But they you, are, you, you go out there, you see those fucking signs they yeah, have everywhere. They're everywhere. Those Eagle Exit four by eight. Someone's paying for it. Okay, just don't forget. I'm, I don't want to. Uh, be on the phone because it'll distract from the podcast. But just g- give me that time and date. I'm looking at it right November now. November seventh. Absolutely. That, I need to be there because the last one they had, I had something else going on. I couldn't. I couldn't make it, but it it sounded fascinating. And I, I guess they 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 want to be on their own. The people who are behind it, they want to be independent. But I don't think they have the um, population or the property tax base to be able to support themselves. They would have to just it, quadruple their taxes. It is interesting, though, because it, do, it does feel, Girdwood, too, it do, they do feel like, you know, Anchorage is so big. We're, I think, one of the biggest cities in the country by land, by land size. Land mass, yeah. Um, you know, it does, it does seem like a different place, a little bit different than Anchorage, Eagle River or Girdwood. Right. right? I mean, you don't feel like feel like you're in Anchorage. You feel like you're in Eagle River it or Girdwood. It is absolutely different. So I, I kind of, 
on some level, but don't they already have a deal? They already have some self uh, They do. They actually have whole separate sections of the land use code, and so they're able to establish how they develop. You know, interestingly, Eagle River, uh, they are not subject to the building safety service area at this time. And look what happened. They did not have the highest ground shaking. It was around 88th that has the highest recorded shaking. But out there, they had the highest damage, that's for sure. Well, the McDonald's got fucking destroyed, didn't exactly. it? Exactly. I mean, and there's another building that they just some of those houses, a some lot of those of the uh, condos, they, yep. they became unlivable after And the after school. That. The yep. school as well. And so, uh, you know, I there are reasons. Freedom. America. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there is a conversation. I was told by my friend Amy that if I did this, it would certainly hasten the exit of Eagle River. But that would be to delete the building safety service area altogether, which would generalize the building codes. Eagle River would have to comply. And so that's one of those areas where... Oh, that, that, that's like the... Um it's equivalent to like the federal overreach, you know, so right. people mistake it bad when the federal oh, government, man. that's so the same, same kind of thing. Now we should switch to uh, plastic bags because you speak of overreach and I sent you that, the screenshot last night that someone sent to me. We have this woman who came to um, argue about the plastic bag ban again and uh, she stood up on the previous matter where we were discussing the licensing issue of that one business. And uh, she made the argument about government overreach, and then she asked government to stop a business from getting started. It was oh, that's, quite yeah, hilarious. That's right. That, that was last night, yeah. So anyhow, plastic bags. So you have something here. People have been mailing you plastic bags. It looks like a very neatly pressed, folded plastic bag Absolutely. In, in this letter, so for, for the stalker, I have a very special version of her own. Someone sent me the very th- the third one of these, and I think they're sending them to all the members. A finely pressed, extraordinarily finely pressed, uh, one of those super thin plastic bags that we've banned in an envelope that's addressed to me from the assembly. And so uh, it's very interesting. And uh, it comes from the downtown post office, so it's someone in the downtown probably. And, yeah, so I have a plastic bag, a third of its kind that's been mailed to me. I'm texting Allison, the stalker. I'm going to see if she's available for a chat. I'm going to call her right now on the podcast. Awesome. And we're going to we're going to inform her that you're going to be giving her this um, envelope with a very nice plastic. She said, "Yes, I'm going to call her right now." We're going to be first time I've done this on Landmine Radio. We're going to be patching in Allison via. via um, Hello, Allison. You're you're not live, but you're on Landmine Radio right now. Can you hear me? Hey, buddy. So I'm here with Chris Constant, and we're talking about you. He has a present for you, and he wants to. Uh, right now, tell you that you have the authority to open it because it has been addressed to him. Yes, Allison, Christopher here. Hey, I got another one of those awesome mailed-in bag uh, envelopes that has a bag in it. And so I just wanted to put it inside of your very own Christopher Constant for Assembly Re-election bag. And then you can open it with your own in your own time. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Chris. I've really been looking for Assemblyman Constant. Ooh, look at that. Ooh. I've really been... Looking forward to this, and I'm excited to uh, use my bag with pride whenever I remember it. Right, <laughs> that's the key. So, of course. Okay, thank you, Allison. So, so just to be clear, you thank have so permission to open the uh, letter that was given to me to give to you. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. This is the first time for Landmine Radio. We uh, called in somebody, patched them in. I hope it sounds okay. It does. So, uh, we were we we're talking about plastic bags and the Eagle exit. I want to talk about a couple more things with you. I mean, we have, I don't know how much time you have, but much time as you need. Go as long as you want. Um, I want to talk about the homelessness issue, okay. which, which obviously is a major issue. Yep. And you were a very uh, big big part of the video we made yes. a few months ago. This is Anchorage. Yep, this which, is Anchorage. Which uh, has gotten, um, I, last time I checked on YouTube, it had sixteen or 17,000 
view, which is you know doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean for Anchorage, that's I think most people who watched it were here, so it's a lot of folks watched it. Interestingly, I was having a, a conversation with uh, Jensen Hall Creative just the other day. Oh yeah, Scott and Carolyn, they, yeah, very, very um, integral part of the, making that video. Right, with uh, important members of the the homeless advocacy community about funding you guys to do a comprehensive so approach. We, we, we've had several since the video came out. We've had, I mean, it's kind of died down it's been a few months but we've had several people come to us i mean you know elected people um members of the community regular people who watched it who want to see more videos you know they want to see a, a dive into the mental health problem they want to see a dive into the substance issue they want to see where do people go they want to see um how the shelters work that you know they want to see the housing like they want to see all these different takes on it which which we i'd love to do right but as you know it's i mean it's scratch. It costs money yeah, you know, it's got to have scratch and so my conversation was with folks who might be able to help fund it and so stay tuned because i want to help you well, get that'd be that great voice because out. It, it, it and some level frustrates me that there's there's so much money and i'm not saying these videos will change anything but they will definitely give a different perspective and i think most you know, people watch channel two or ktva they don't have the means to do a 30 minute deal they do a two minute three minute thing that it's just talk to somebody real quick and it really doesn't go we went in, we went on deep dive i mean yes. we were in the camps we were at the community or the homeless community meeting we were at the, you know, where the fire was with you. We talked to a lot of people who were homeless, who were either in downtown or midtown, who were living in the camps. And I just, on some level, kind of, not just with this issue, but so much money gets spent in the city and the state on things that just, I just puzzles me. Right. It baffles me. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you to know, the, see so little change. Like, like I got the landmine, you know, and I'm, I'm not looking for like a handout, but I'm trying to, you know, get ads. I'm trying to generate money to support. And I look at some of the, efforts in the past that have tried to change policy and some of these people spend fucking millions of dollars right and and they they end up worse off than when they started so, that's right who gets crazy. the money and where does it go it's crazy it's like a rack it's almost like a racket this whole camp you know these like campaigns where you get uh these groups or these consultants that's their whole job is to you know they, they take the overhead which like, right that's their fee that's not even going into actually it's not doing the work mail or, or video or tv whatever you're going to do radio you know, I've often thought it would be amazing if we could come up with an electoral system where we got a year off. So in Alaska and Anchorage in particular, every single year we have at least one and sometimes two or three elections, right? And so who stands to make all that money? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, there's the there's, there's, communication there's, firms. So, so there's communic yeah, there's there's communication companies, PR TV. consultant, the TV. You know, during the last, I was reading an article. Um, I was kind of prepping for next year it's going to be very very busy with the u.s senate race and in 2014 i mean there was huge money i mean it was like 50 million dollars right spent on that race in the previous u.s senate races it was like less than 10 million right so yeah, you get tv radio you get these consultants so we're always in a pitched election season in anchorage it's always election season yeah so you got you got every other year you have every every year you have an election a citywide election yep and every other year you have a statewide election yep so, yeah, some years you have one, some years you have two. And all the primaries and everything that goes into it. So always those folks are making what, their what, money. What do you think about, I know this was brought up years ago in the Assembly, and, and I see it both ways, but I actually lean towards having the city election correspond with, with the legislature, you know, the, the... Yeah, I don't. Uh, my, my only reason, I, the only reason I don't like it is because it becomes very, very, very hard to get through to folks because... Yep. In addition to you know legislative races and maybe a governor's race or a senate race, you have all of a sudden an assembly race, right? And so you don't get heard, and that's the functional problem of ha having the election in the same time as a general election is that 
how can a small local candidate buy bandwidth in a competitive marketplace? Yeah. You can't. No, and and also just even out. knocking doors. You're going to, who are you? What You're right. running for what? That's the only thing. But you know, on the other end, I just look at the participation. I look at the turnout. Um, Anchorage's participation is spiking, though, with the vote by mail. It, it, has, it has gone up with vote by mail. You guys did but, a great job covering that, too. And it's the fact is, when we make voting easier for people, people will vote more. That's true, and I, I, you know, I, I have no issue with vote by mail. I think it's, um, I think it's great. I think it gives people more time to kind of look at people and just to, to. It's easier to vote, and it's worked in a lot of places. Where we covered that as, as you mentioned, we did a video on that. Yeah, no, and you did but a great job. The, the, the other, the other issue that I look at with the, the current um, date of April is going door to door. It's pretty fucking hard because it's, it's cold. Yep, it's cold and it's dark. And, and as a, as a, as a, as a kind of bigger guy, when I was running for Senate, I tried the year before to knock on doors and. What I figured out very quickly was like if, if I'm going out at, when it's dark, no one's knocking answering. on the door. People are either yeah. not answering or they're like, "Who the fuck? Like, who's this guy?" Right? No, that's well, that's kind of always the case. You show up at their door, they're going to be like, "Who are you?" Not just you. I found most people are because you're talking to mostly super voters anyway, so most people are right. used to it. So my strategy for re-election for not re-election, my strategy for the election the first go round was I campaigned the summer before. You know, I made up my mind and I worked my butt off. So I spent the whole summer canvassing. And this time it's a lot harder because I'm actually doing the work. I have a job finding the time to get out and knock on doors. I will do it, but it's a lot harder. And so uh, it'll be a lot more done in the dark and in the cold this year. But the first time in the strategy that worked for me was get it done early. And that's why, like with Forrest and his early announcement, there's a lot of value in getting out first. But even with the summer, and I mean, on on the mayoral level, it's probably... You know, it's a bigger thing people are paying more attention to. But, I mean, if you knock on somebody's door in the summer and the election's not until April, I mean, most people, they're going to they're gonna forget who they, they talk to you yes, I know. two months later. It I mean, worked for me. It's true. You won. Yeah, it worked it's, for it's, me. It's, it's, more contact, the better. I'm just saying, if it was in the, in, in the fall, you could all summer long talk to folks. But you're right. I mean, I, and I said this, you, you're going to be competing with legislative, yeah, no maybe, 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 maybe gubernatorial, yeah. U.S. Senate. Yep. So, anyways, and, back. and all the ballot initiatives and bonds yep. and everything else—it just you, there's no room to breathe. That's a whole other. We'll, we'll maybe go into that later, but I, I don't even think we should have bonds on the ballot. I don't think anybody fucking reads them. I think we should have like a bonding committee, and they recommend you know they recommend. Look, you're like looking at me like I know. I'm, get try, out of here. I'm trying to understand because you, how many people do you really think read? I mean, some of those are more than a paragraph, and they're very they're very specific language. I mean, right. I read, I try to read them, but I read like two of them. I'm like, fuck, I don't want to read this. It's like, right. how, are we going to spend 20 minutes in the ballot box reading? So here's the problem. The law requires that if we're going to pledge the full faith and credit of the municipality, the government to a project that the voters have to say yes. And so that's, that's what we face. The voters have to concur with the pledging and the full what faith. What about and like credit. a bonding board of, you know, 15 people or something. And then they, re- and then they say, here's what we recommend these bonds. Right. Kind of, we have the judicial council. They right. recommend if and judges then, get retained or not. Yeah, but we don't elect judges here. We only retain them. Right, but they still give. They, they give like a we recommend or don't recommend, and they, no, they normally I, recommend. That that's an interesting idea, and in fact, there are groups that get together and do that kind of work on their own for I sure. Know, I know. But uh, interesting. I just know that in order to pledge the full faith and credit of the government, the municipality of Anchorage, the voters have to say yes. I'm also not a big fan of these some some these complex ballot initiatives. Right. Because it's you're taking a very like the oil tax one right now. Right. You know, I understand people, the reasons behind it, um, but you take a very complex issue, tax policy and oil tax policy, and you dilute it into 200 words, and people read it, right? right. And th- really, it's all the campaign that 
goes back and forth for six months. Right. But then they, they who really who really reads it? I mean, I don't read it. I mean, I I do read it before because I cover this stuff. But right. I mean, who really? Come on. A lot of people do. I have a lot of faith in the voters, and sometimes I scratch my head at their decisions. The last ballot, they approved everything except for the. Uh, the uh, facilities bond. Yeah, once in a while, a bond doesn't get. Everybody kind of scratches their heads, like, why didn't this bond super random get approved? It's yeah. like always some weird. Like one time, didn't the school bond not get approved at one point a so couple I, years ago? I had somebody say to me, their husband told them the reason they voted no is because you can't vote yes on everything. You have to pick one, and everybody picked. That so yeah, did everybody one. pick like the one bond? <laughs> That's what happened. Like <laughs> so a school funny. of fish, right? It, it, you know, I, I'd say generally, I mean, for the most part, the voters dorm, normally do get it right. I mean, sometimes weird things happen and. Anomalies. It's kind of like a a, um, a jury, right? You know, you got twelve random people who probably never met each other, right? And um, they have no, ex- oftentimes have no experience in that kind of thing, and they get together, and you know, once in a while something weird happens, but you know, so generally it seems to. I work, served on work the out. grand jury back in two thousand nine, and that was a six month service, two days a week for you know two days two days a month, I should say, for six months. And I had my eyes open to how our justice system works. probably saw a lot of stuff in the grand jury. Amazing. You get like 20 or 30 cases in a day, and it takes a majority of 18 people to send an indictment forward, and that is eye-opening. And it's very robust conversation. You're all not attorneys. Mm-hmm. I was the four-person. I was elected a four-person in that process. But uh, Are you the foreman? Uh-huh. Four-person? Yeah, yeah. four-person. We'll, we'll go into that in a second. <laughs> So wait, let's get back to the homeless. So yeah, we never you know, went there. We, we did the video, which was great. You were a big part of helping out with that. Yep, I think it raised a lot of awareness in a, in a way that most people. My takeaway from that is we drive around the city. You know, we, we see people on the you know sidewalks asking for money or you know doing something, but very few of us ever go into those camps. Right. Which I which I did, and the one on 68th over there on C Street, I live right near there. Right. And. It, it's like we kind of there's it's almost like to me there's two there's like two worlds mm-hmm. that are living together right but they're totally separate yep and and the homeless folks people who live in the camps they know our world they they, they see our world they, they're familiar with it but almost nobody in our world is familiar with their, their world that's true and it's very um it was very eye-opening especially seeing the difference of kind of the people and and the um vibe of downtown it's like the further you got away from downtown, it got more kind of chilled out. Mm-hmm. The people living in Campbell Creek, uh, for the most part, were some of them told, told us they chose to live there. Right, able-bodied people. When we went on that river trip, we yeah. came around that one corner and saw that amazing camp. Right, mm-hmm. except they had their toilet over the creek, which was kind of horrifying. But yep. a perfect place and be beautiful. Or when we went walking through that one encampment that was in the trees, where that woman was there with her boyfriend. You yeah, the know. native woman who, who from uh, Togiak, I yeah. think, and, and said, "Hey, it's summertime. This is we love living here." When you walk past the trees and you got into the space they were occupying, it was unbelievably beautiful and peaceful and serene. And just you know, the needle tracks on her arm proved that there was another story happening right. there. Yeah. But the fact in the cuts, you know, she was a cutter. But other than you know that mental health and behavioral health trauma she was living in a beautiful place summer camp and she and she and she wasn't a stupid person i mean she was had a good conversation with us and absolutely um yeah that was to me it was pretty eye-opening just going i mean you've been back there right but i mean how many of the assembly people people have gone back there and really gone back there and spent time talking to those folks i would say probably a third of us you know mr weddleton is pretty intrepid he'll go anywhere uh forrest has done a bit i know i've done some felix done some otherwise i don't know but uh you know, Cameron, I know he's gone out there. And in fact, I remember when Austin Quinn Davidson went down with Aircroft and the police chief, they went on a tour 
So all of us probably have done some, but for me, it's been an ongoing concern for the better part of 10 years. Well, a lot of it is in your district. Yeah, 10 years at least I've been spending on this issue. And then that's relative to the people who live nearby the places where the campers live. It creates a, a real... Uh, well, that was part of the video was, was Darl Schaff and right. um, jo- John uh, from PIP and all those businesses down there on 3rd. Right. You know, I have a proposal coming forward. I've been fighting for it. It's not a proposal I have any power to achieve at this time, but you're going to hear about it. We have a road project on 3rd Avenue that's supposed to put in some pedestrian amenities there in front of the shelter, and it's supposed before it was going to put it on a diet down to two lanes, which the truckers use that path to get goods, trucks back to mm-hmm. the port as they move them around the state. And it was kind of an insane proposal. Let's narrow the road because it's unsafe, and let's widen the sidewalk. So effectively, we were not going to just have a single uh, tent row. We were going to have a double-wide row of tents basically lined up on the south side of that street. You're expanding it. You know, Carluck is there, and Carluck is a nightmare. Drug dealing, sex trafficking, people passed out in the road. That story of Ronaleva and the bleach and all that stuff all happens there. So I've been arguing that the only way to make that place safe is to remove any reason for people to be south of the road, 3rd Avenue, uh, in front of the shelter. So how would you do that? You would get rid of Carluck, vacate that right-of-way, give it to Darl, give it to MLNP, fence that street, and then move the fence to within about four feet yeah, of what's the road. That, what's that street really for? They say it's for access to the shelter, but the shelter will tell you it's a hazard. It's a place where people mingle. It's the party. It's the all-night party. Well, that's where we spend some of our time. And it was it, horrible. I'll tell you what, it was, um, man... Uh, I wouldn't say scared was the word, but it was it was very uncomfortable. When being Ethan, there. Ethan was campaigning, I took him down there, just like I took all the rest of the candidates down there, and kind of asked them, "What are you going to do about this?" And it, it was at one point where the place it was it was March, right before the April election, and the place smelled like a lower forty eight dump in August. Yeah, you know, that, that was, rotten, was... horrible smell. People are rotting on the streets. So Ethan gets elected, and within two weeks, a woman who had challenged him to fix the problem when we were there in March had died, and so he had to preside over her funeral at the shelter. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's so real, and it goes on and on. So you mentioned Ron Aleva. I mean, what's your take on Ron? I, I got my opinion. I'm curious what you think about him. You know, I love Ron Aleva as a person. I know his family really well, and I challenge anyone who thinks he's the bad guy or that uh, you know he should be punished and all this, that there's no one else in the city who's had to pay more for the city's pushing of its solution onto him. Right? He's the last private property owner abutting that shelter, and he's assaulted on a daily basis. His daughter has had to witness people being raped on their property. There's human waste every day on his property. And so if anybody had to put up with the amount of trouble that he has, they would be just like I, him. I think I would have snapped way before he did. They would be just like him. And so my message to anyone who feels compassion for the homeless and thinks he's the bad guy, until you can find the same love you feel for any uh, person experiencing a mental health problem down on 3rd Avenue, until you can find that for him, the one we created, you're a hypocrite. Well, I think he's uh, I think he's probably experiencing a mental health problem. No, from, he, the I mean, one we phys- created. Physical health problems, too. Both. He talked about that. Yeah, there's a term called iatrogenic, and that term is... Uh, Used often in like the addiction fields, iatrogenic addiction is an addiction caused by the doctor prescribing you medicine, right? So it's a it's an illness caused by the cure. Yeah. And so Ron's illness is caused by the cure the city has driven there. Yeah, I, you know, I think it, it was very easy to, to demonize him with yes. the the was it chlorine or yeah. yeah and 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 from what I understand, he um it was really a, a it was a mixing mistake. It was yeah. should have been. It would have been okay to use it if it was diluted with water. Right. And 
interesting. And, and, and the other thing that I talked to the folks downtown, Darl Schaff and other right. folks down there, they said with the story didn't tell, and, and uh, Rob Couples, with the story, they talked to the media, what they didn't say was that aside from that incident, which, which was problematic, after he was done, it never looked. The whole area never looked so clean. Not only he, that, he actually smell. did a really good job of the smell of, of you know. And obviously, it's, it always goes back, and there's there's more problems. But yeah. um, it, it was never in the story that was written. The stories that were written, it was it was never um, mentioned that that he had done cleaning up human waste, right. needles, yep. the smell. Yep. Um, it, it's just, I was down there, man. It, it is fucking crazy, and I don't think most people. I, I'll be. I lived there fifteen years. I've driven by that thing a million times, but I never really went down there and spent time. Right. And it is like a different it is like a different world. Here's what it is. It is a convenient place for us to drive all these troubles and keep them in an invisible walled fortress. That's a ghetto, like in the classic World War Two sense of a ghetto. It is a ghetto, yeah. Just there's invisible walls there. And I mean, you, you you were talking. I was talking to you about the shelter. I mean, nobody, a lot of people don't want to go in there. Of course. I mean, there, there's 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 aggressive people. We saw there's there's bed bed bug. There can be bed bugs. People using drugs. There's drugs. There's I mean, there's all kinds violence, of violence, perpetrators, criminal you know, activity outside. If you're mentally disturbed, if you have a mental health issue, that's like probably the worst place you could put somebody. Hey, did you see the news yesterday on this topic? Uh, but Ju- API Judge Morris yeah. ruled that that the state of Alaska can't send people to jail to deal with their lack of of psychiatric beds. This is a huge ruling. I'm not sure how the administration in Juneau is going to deal with this. They I'm have sure six, I think six weeks. To, they're going to come up with some excuse I, or some I, other method to push the problem around. But this is a watershed I, moment. I did a podcast. I don't know if you listened to it with Kevin Huckshorn. Did you hear that? She's from Wellpath. She's a psychiatric nurse, and she's been doing this a long time. We had a really really good took an hour long podcast discussion about mental health and. You know, part of the thing we talked about was, was, you know, we have like CPR. People are trained for CPR in this country, a lot of people. Right. But we aren't trained to deal with mental health problems. Right. Like we, some, somebody's mentally disturbed. What do we do? Right. How do we, how do we deal with this person? How do we help them? And, you know, the, the solution basically right now for a lot of people who are like that, you call the police. Right. And that's the worst thing to do for a lot of these people. They don't right. need, it's not, it's not a, unless they're doing something illegal, unless they're hurting somebody. Or about to hurt themselves. Or, you, you know, you bring the police in, you, you, it, she, she compared it to a very, very, here's a very clear, clear example of, of what she compared it to. I told her that when I was much younger, it must've been 2006, um, I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. I had come home, I was living with a friend and he was with a buddy, they were playing Monopoly and they said, Hey, do you want some, some, we made some brownies. You want some brownies? And right. I said, sure. So I had a brownie. I was like, that's pretty good. They have another one. So I had two brownies, oh, right? Oh, no, I can see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they were fucking, had weed in them. Right? Right. I didn't know that. No one told me. Right. And we were playing Monopoly, and I started to feel really weird. And right. I started, and I'd smoked pot before. You know, I know what it was like to be high, but not that kind of high. That right. was a different kind of high. Hardcore. So, so I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I'm thinking about it. I start feeling really, obviously, paranoid. I'm, I'm getting increasingly paranoid because I'm like, what's wrong with me? What did I do? And she goes, you know, imagine... Imagine you had that without the, the, you know, and eventually I said, what the fuck is wrong with me? What's going on? And they told me they, you know, put drugged me essentially. Right. And, you know, I felt better after that because I understood, I still felt weird, but I felt better that I understood it. She goes, imagine that's a mental illness and you have no explanation of why you feel that way. Right. And, and you're confused and you're scared and you're nervous. And then imagine the police show up. Right. And man, that really puts it in perspective. It totally does. You know, because if the cops would have showed up at that point because I was doing something or I was right. acting weird. Because somebody freaked out, and they grab. I'm going to be ten times worse. I got to tell you though, in Anchorage, uh, things are a little bit different. Um, so I worked on a project in long time ago, 1999, called the API Replacement Project, and that was a downsizing project. Were you like 12 years old? Yeah, to cut the. Per- <laughs> 
psychiatric hospital in half, which they did, with the promise of increasing community-based supports, which they didn't do. And so, but at the time, I discovered a project called the Memphis Crisis, Memphis Model Crisis Intervention Team. And I had a woman from APD on my steering committee, Wendy Shackelford, a retired officer. And she, on my advice, worked with the committee and went down to Memphis and got trained in this crisis intervention team model. Uh, because at the time, Anchorage had been experiencing what could only be described as a rash of suicide by cop incidents where people who were experiencing major severe mental illness had a breakdown and they basically wanted to be killed and got killed by the police. And so APD invested in this crisis intervention team. And ever since 1999, it's been a long time now, they've been building the capacity to ensure that we do not have a, a community where an individual can and will be killed by a police officer if they're going through a mental health breakdown. Instead, on every shift, we have experts trained who are called and become the situational lead. Doesn't matter the rank of who's on duty. They become the boss of that moment and they're well, well, trained the, in intervention. The, so there's one thing that APD does right now that is absolutely flipping shocking and to their credit when we have people and we have masses of people who are going through mental health breakdown you've already heard and described it third avenue there's nowhere for them to go so our system is supposed to be api takes them in and they're the single point of entry and then they screen them into whatever is the appropriate supportive services whether it's psychiatric intervention at api some community-based treatment detox whatever it is they might need so Guess what? That place is full. So Providence goes on what they call refer status. APD calls Providence. Providence says we're on refer. They check then with the Native Medical Center and with regional. Oh, I'm sorry. We're all full. We don't have any room for this difficult person. So then they call API, who's supposed to be the place where you can take them. API says, I'm sorry. We have no beds. In fact, they're operating at 23 beds out of 75 right now. And most of those beds are taken by people experiencing mental illness from the jail system. Corrections. So guess what happens? APD has this person going through psychiatric breakdown. What do they do? Our officers will hold them in their cruiser and just drive them around, hoping that they will come down back into their body rather than take them to jail, rather than let them go. And so they will actually, our police, the most expensive level of service that we have is driving people well, around and, for and, hours and at is, a time. This is what Kevin Huckstrom was talking about, was, was the, the, the best way to deal with the, this problem. The, the, and some cities have done this and other, other countries have done this is you have instead of all these different, you know, you have mental health and API and you have the police and you have the you have a place where people can go a, a central kind of place. Right. And, and it's, it's it's a good place. It's it's the, it's comfortable. It's not scary. And people there talk to get, when somebody's mentally disturbed that you bring your talk, bring them there. Right. Mm -hmm. This is where they go. Right. And, and, they, and they have professionals there and they say, right. is this person, do they need to go to API? Right. Do they are they are they in danger? endangering themselves right do they do they need some just some some support do they need to talk to somebody i mean what what do they need right and, and it's a central it's triage state triage tr staging area right and and we don't have that in this in this town and but so we should we should have that you're you're right on the cutting edge of where our assembly is working right now for next year's budget. There's a strong conversation about setting up a day shelter in Midtown that would have this function built yeah, into Yeah, I've talked it. to Meg Zaltel about that. Right, and so she's one of the leaders in this conversation because it is the missing piece. We need a place, and it can't be at 3rd Avenue where everyone's going through massive psychiatric trauma. We need it to be in a place that's separate from all that and in a place that's non-threatening, it's not hostile, it's open, it's warm, it's safe. That's hopefully where I mean, we're she, getting. She, she was telling me a, a huge part of this is, um, is, is, is just having 
mental health issues is just having you know a good supportive network of friends and family. Absolutely. I mean, th- that can do a lot. Well, the problem there, though, is the people that we find on the streets have burned through every yeah, relationship yeah, and every yeah. support system that they have. And so when you get them in these environments, they are down to but, zero. But there's some people who start developing mental health issues at a young age. You know, Absolutely. Schizophrenia, for example, usually manifests at a in young 20s, age, 20s. Yeah. So there's people who, you know, if, if they can get identified early right. and say, look, you know, they're, they, they aren't like losing it. They have a mental health issue. issue. Right, absolutely. It's, it's the example that I've, you know, Lynn Gaddis once told me the first time I heard, I'm sure you've heard it, that, that, you know, if somebody's leg snapped in half, everybody says, oh my God, look, they're hurt. Right. If somebody's mentally ill, we don't look at it the same way right. oftentimes. And we should, we should look at it, you know, well, as, as, only, a, as, a, as an injury. We've only had the parity of mental health services beginning since Obamacare went into effect. We started treating as a primary health care issue, the mental health Issues And so we're at a new age in the terms of that, but we are at this time fighting to keep from going backwards because the behavioral health funding is getting cut consistently at this time. It's the easiest pool to cut because those people have few advocates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, we're going into the winter, you know, it's a, it, it comp, the issue compounds itself when people, when it's 20 below zero or 10 below zero, Absolutely. or even when it's 20 degrees below 45, when it's cold and wet, when it rains and it's below 45, it is damn dangerous out there. Um, last thing I want to talk about with you, it's a uh, man, great, great podcast. We've been trying to set this up for a long time. I don't know what's going on. It's I know it's supposed it's to my, be 100. It's my fault. Yeah. Well, you're going to be about 125, 130 at this point. All right. 127. Huh. Um, so you sent me an article earlier and, and I want to talk to you about this because I would definitely categorize you as a progressive person. Right. Um, you sent me an article called, let me pull this up here real quick so I can read the title. It was from a what was the um, publication called? Queer Queer Majority, queermajority.com, which I'm assuming is an LGBT um, publication. And the description is: po- political correctness is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it has helped improve equality through representation, but on the other hand, has hampered equality by focusing on the language people use rather than the attitudes and beliefs they hold as they hold and beliefs they hold underneath. Yep. And this is a, from a South African guy who wrote this very good article called The Underbelly of Political Correctness. And you sent it to me, and I read it. And, I mean, essentially, the guy kind of nails how I I feel about this. And and I've been, for the last week, I've been dealing with a whole bunch of backlash from the woke scolds that, you know, you've you've referred to him as well, for for a post I made on, on Facebook and Twitter about some people, some white people protesting at AFN which I had a, an opinion about that. And then I, I kind of, instead of what a lot of people expect when they when the mob attacks, they, they, they most people uh, get scared and apologize or, or with, withdraw. I double down. Right. And it's gotten, I mean, they don't know what to do, so it's gotten worse. And you've seen a lot of it on Facebook and Twitter. Right. And you haven't seen my, I mean, I'm happy to show you the emails and the Facebook messages. And, I get it. You know, pe- people that I thought were kind of people that I was well acquainted with, you know, right. say you're a fucking racist colonizer. You know, I hate you. <laughs> Well, you know, you were equal opportunity. I, with the conversation with you last night, we were talking about how uh, at AFN there were people who were Alaska Native who were protesting who were uh, maybe not welcome to be protesting there in the way that they were because it was disrespectful to the collective voice of the people who had actually invited them there. You know, that's it's an interesting and, and, conversation. And, and it was a planned, a lot of the people that were there are the same people that were carting homeless people around Anchorage. Um, during this, the, you know, the downtown and the Westchester and the, and the Valley of the Moon and the same people that were there um, taking over the fake Wasilla session. Right. So there's a group of these activists, and that's good for them. You know, they they, orga- they organize people and they use they, your voice. They, they, they have a way to do that. But yep. but when you go to an event like AFN and you and you coordinate a protest, and it's like there's people are getting 
airdrop messages like come here and do this and right. folks who aren't delegates sitting in the delegate section right that's not that's not right it definitely is an interesting uh, form of protest you know to the core of this conversation for myself at least you know this article the underbelly of political correctness what i have seen in the lgbt community is uh for a long time people were uh, fighting to be recognized and to be heard and heard in ways that aren't um, intending harm and which is totally which is which this guy talks about right totally good reasonable that's a good thing right when you have some faith leader looking down at you and saying we must stop the homosexuals because they are trying to take your religious rights and, and then he's and then he's out screwing one of the, uh, the boys, one of the, the boys, boys. Yeah. yeah that's a whole other story but uh you know when or, or he's on grinder saying power bottom remember that preacher yeah power bottom looking for, looking for looking for a daddy seriously man he's, he's one of the he's a gay converter that guy well and here's the thing and almost every time in our in the modern American dynamic, when somebody in, from the extreme right is very loudly anti-gay, it's because they're totally gay. Yeah, it's, There's it's numbers to it's prove it. And so, but the core message for me in all of this is that we have a duty if we're trying to have a community conversation on any topic, and that's what policymakers do. We try to have community conversations as we move the ball forward. In my opinion, we have a duty to hear what the person is trying to say what is their meaning? Yeah, not right. getting trapped in the words that are being said. When, when people are scared, and this is what the article talks about, when people are scared to speak because they're they're going to get scolded or they're they're going to get attacked because they might not say. A good example he used he uses is for a long time it was LGBT, and then it was LGBTQ, and then it was LGBTQIA plus, right? And he says we get stuck in this minutia of words when somebody says LGBT, you aren't using the right term, right? And they're trying. They're they're a good person. They're and, trying to help, and they're, it absolutely shuts down the conversation because while there is an important, meaningful topic to have, you're talking about what letters we append to a string of letters. This is not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about how it's essential that LGBT gay youth have the services that they need. I saw a really nice meme the other day uh, where it was like the conservatives shouting. You're trying to convert our children to gay. And the bottom is like, no, we're trying to keep our gay kids from killing themselves. Yeah. You know, that's actually what we're doing. We're not here to recruit you. We're here to protect I, I, our I own. Mean, while, while people fight about words and letters, some some person over here, some some gay kid might be dealing with, with some serious discrimination and, and, and might be considering suicide while we're over here fighting about a fucking letter. Exactly. I mean, this is the dumbest thing. And so to me, what's more important, what's most important is trying to understand what somebody is meaning, not how they are saying it, because that is only the skeleton of the conversation. The, 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 this is a real thing. I hear from a lot of people, you know, and it's it's conservative friends of mine, progressive friends of mine, it's everybody. And you and I, we, we disagree on probably a ton of stuff. Yep. But, you know, you're, you're somebody that I'm friends with that I can talk to. We can have a disagreement. I have so many people who tell me this, especially recently. They want to say something about some topic. They want to make a comment. They, they have an opinion. But they're just so either scared or, or just worried about dealing with whatever's going to happen. On the, and the Internet's a weird, bad place in a lot of cases. Yep. But but it it um it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's right. Yeah. Um, Tale of two cities. Here we are. So, you know, I have so many people I've talked to who, who tell me this all the time. They say like I, I I don't I'm I'm nervous to say something because I don't want to deal with the the consequence of the woke mob coming after me because they don't like my opinion or they don't like what I what I said about something. And you cannot live in a fucking society a free society where a lot of people. I mean, this this is a whole. 
issue of the 60s, the silent right. majority. Right. When I read a book, I would talk about it a couple of days ago, Nixonland. And, and Nixon was, you know, vice president under Eisenhower for uh, eight years. No, people don't really realize that. He ran for uh, president against Kennedy, lost. Ran for uh, governor of California, lost. Everybody thought he was dead politically. Johnson was, was president. There was the Great Society. There was a very progressive movement in, in America. Um, then all these protests started. There was the, the Vietnam protests. There, there was the free love. There was Woodstock. And, and, and everybody pretty much thought that this, this kind of conservative era is over. The Barry Goldwater era, it's, it's done. Right. And, and Nixon in 68 won. And it just really confused everybody, including a lot of the media. Right. Who said, what the hell's going on? What did we miss? Right. And it was a silent majority of people who were n- afraid to speak. Mm-hmm. But they vote, right? And you can't live in a society where people are afraid to talk to each other. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, and I have a reputation of saying maybe more than I should well, say. And that's what and you know, that's so one of the things people like about you. I firmly believe. I mean, that you it's you a core you, you got on the fucking rafts with us to Campbell Lake, and some people said, like, man, I, that guy. Shit, I got like how many people in the assembly would do that right now? I think I you're the only one. I don't know, but I'm going to be there when the facts are there to be found. That was a fun trip and interesting, eye opening. So yeah, you, you had the good canoe. I did have the good canoe. <laughs> yes, thank you to the canoeer, the canoe man. Jer- Jeremy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that we have a lot of room to grow. I can celebrate my personal friendship and relationship with someone who I believe almost absolutely opposite of in so many ways, Amy Dombowski, right. because we committed at the beginning. We're going to talk with each you, other. You guys had that, that kind of friendship everybody was very puzzled by. Yeah, and we continue to. We continue to because we are committed to understanding each other. And I don't have to agree with her. She doesn't have to agree with me. For sure, that's going to happen sometimes or not. But, you know, one thing, aside from all that, that I found the most interesting observation I made serving on the assembly is that nine out of 10 decisions, 99 out of 100 decisions are 11 to zero. Yeah, it's true. We vote the same on everything. And it's not just because we have a majority. It's because the decisions we're making are almost all common sense, nuts and bolts, everyday issues. We're not talking about big social policy issues. We're not talking about the... The things that are tearing up societies, the the issues that tend to divide are questions of the budget. Which way does the budget go? Where are we going to spend our money? Those kind of things. But uh, when it comes to everyday policy, that body is almost always 11 to 0. And that is a testament to why our community continues to thrive in the face of all the chaos at the state and the federal level. Because when it comes to roads and sewers, streets and sidewalks, to how we approach fixing and making sure our community is the most livable place can be— we agree. So what's your message to all these uh, for, for folks who are listening, these quote-unquote woke scolds who just se- it seems like their mission is to just go, go after, look for any little tiny thing somebody right. says, or, says or writes and, focus and, and on, glom onto that. Focus on the meaning. You know, focus on the meaning. If you can't see past the mandate that you demand from them and how they speak, then you are just as much a failure in the conversation as anyone else. And, and, and you know, there, there's obviously clear examples of, of somebody saying something so horrible. Right. We, we all know. Okay? I, I've you done know, it. We're, we're not talking about people who are, you know, advocating for, for hateful things or bad things. You know, we, we, we can all identify that. Or just getting super personal or any of those things. Right. But it's, it's, it's the vast majority of things people are saying or writing that, that people um, get fixated on. And, and you're right, they lose the meaning and all of a sudden it becomes a personal attack or it becomes a conversation about what, what's wrong with this person. Or why are you using these words? These words are not acceptable when we should be talking about why is that kid going to kill himself and what can we do to make a difference? I mean, it's funny, you go back to the LGBT thing. I have a lot of gay for your gay. I mean, I don't know what you what term you like, but most people, I'd say LGBT is fine. It's fine. It's for a me, fine it's term. Queer. And, I, and people know what it means. Yeah. 
And, you know, when you start adding, I mean, Dave Chappelle, you saw the Chappelle thing? I did. You know, it was pretty funny. Super uncomfortable, which is good. That's his point. <laughs> Very the, uncomfortable. The, the car, the, the alphabet car. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. But I like being made uncomfortable because when you're uncomfortable, that's when you have, you get out of your zone and you think about it from another well, perspective. And a, a lot of comedians like Chappelle, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch that won't do colleges anymore. Right. And and he's, he's, Chappelle has said this. He says, we can't live in a society. You, people need to be able to speak recklessly. They, if, if you're scared to speak, if you're scared to what to speak about some issue or some topic, you, you start you start living in a place where what's in your mind can't you can't verbally get it out there to people, and and, and there's no real discussion anymore. There's there's not it becomes very, increasingly more difficult to have a conversation. Well, and then if you translate that into the political universe, uh, what I find most sad about policymaking is that. A lot of people who are in positions to make a difference won't say what they really think because they're afraid scared. Yeah. it will be used in opposition to their future planks of whatever platform they're There's, attempting and, and to build. You know what? That's on both sides. I know. And, it, and to that, me, that's something it's that, just... You, you wouldn't believe the legislators I talk to privately. Right. You wouldn't believe what some of them say to me. Right. That they would never say publicly. It's, it's, it's actually discouraging. Really, it's terrible because how are we ever going to make progress on any of these matters that are important to us? So I'm actually reading a book right now. It's kind of really weird for me to be reading. It's called um, American Viking, and it's the story. Oh, I like your shirt there. Uh, Thank you. May the no- it says, may the Norse be with you. And yes. there's a, is that Odin? Yes. With the uh, the swords there and the beard. I love that. And so uh, it's a book about this guy named Abram Verady. And he was the founder of The Family, if you had an opportunity to watch that Netflix special. And the founder of The Prayer mm. Breakfast in Washington. And really the founder of I know about the prayer breakfast, American that. political Christianity. And uh, So that was, this was before Falwell? Oh, yeah. Way before. 60s, 50s, 40s. Oh, okay. And... Uh, he is also the creator of Goodwill, and his family lives in Wasilla. And, really? Um, yeah, so his descendants live up here. And so I'm reading this book, and there's an interesting quote. I took a snapshot of it. Let's see if I can It's his book, it. or it's a book about him? It's kind of a biography with a lot of the stories about it. Here's what it says. Um, and, and again, I'm not a religious person, but God saw that there was no man. The man of the hour was lacking, the man who is not afraid of his future politically, the man who money can't buy or praise and criticism spoil, the man who will be uncompromisingly true to his convictions, in love with men and with a vision and passion for the truth. Heaven is bending low to bless that man and to keep and sustain him through thick and thin. That man is wanted today everywhere. Well, you know what? There's a lot of truth to that because I've, I've said for a long time, I forget where I heard this, but... The most, da- especially in politics, but in general, the mo- you know the most dangerous person, somebody not vo- motivated by money. Right. Well, I am that very man. Da- that's a very dangerous person. I am that man. I'm here. I'm going to tell people what I think. I'm true to my convictions, and I'm going to stand on them. And I'm not going to uh, walk away and be away f- in fear of some future penalty for speaking the truth today. Yeah, it's it's discouraging how how many people are scared to politicians are scared to say what they believe. On the other end, there, there's another end of it, and you you see this in the assembly, I'm sure. Where, you know, you can say what you think, but you also there there is another part of the problem is is the kind of in some ways lack of respect and discord people have. Right. Where it's like you can be a smart person, in in a legislative body, and, and you can have good ideas. But what I figured out being in Juno last year is it, the the two most important. You know, what to me the two most important things are. Tell me. 
I think in, in politics and legislative situation, the two most important. What, what would you What would you think? One of them. One of them would be. Well, it's having a internal compass and being willing to work together to get things done. So that's one of them. Is I've said the two most important things are your ability to get along with people, right? And, you know, work with people, and um, and your word. Yeah. You know, and if people don't like you. And if people don't trust you, yeah. you could be the smartest motherfucker in the room with all the ideas, but none of those will happen because nobody trusts you right. and nobody likes you. Right. And this is another issue uh, that, that people face down there, where, where they're, you know, smart people, but they're they're st- stubborn. They're they're they get their personal, and nobody wants to nobody wants to work. Right. With them. They kill their own future. Another thing in politics, which I've figured out, uh, I had a podcast with Kathy Geisel recently about right. this and you listen to that one I haven't no you should listen to it she talked about this the bill she wanted to pass it was a nursing bill and she couldn't kept getting stalled in the house and some some folks Democrats came to her and said let, let us help you with this and she said she very difficult it was very difficult to her she she ceded control of the bill right ended up passing right you know um, but in politics if you don't care who gets the you can get a lot done right if you don't care who takes the who gets the credit so my grandmother's wisdom was this there are two kinds of people in the world those who do the job and those who take, take credit, credit yeah. <laughs> and she said be in the first group because there's way less competition and in in the in the end i mean I don't, if, if you're driven by by you know getting credit or, or right. fame then it's a problem but i mean in the end no matter what and maybe not everybody knows but the people who the people who matter the people they know who matter, no. they know who's doing yeah. stuff that's right a lot of stuff happens in juno and it gets reported in a way where i'm like oh fuck you know yeah it's it, we, everybody. The people who pay attention know yeah. who, who's doing stuff. That's absolutely true. But but if your whole objective in life is to get is to get recognition, then you got another problem. Yeah, it's get out of politics. Well, I got a meeting coming up here. At three. This has been a great pod. We we, we got to do more of these. I agree. We'll this do is, them topical. We Let's, should have a fucking radio show or like a. There were only time. Let's do it. You had one on KONR. What happened to you? There was no time. I do once a week. It's crazy. I can squeeze it in. Well, I know. You're probably a little busier. Than, well, yeah, we're both busy, but we're both busy. But you, you, you're busy in a way where you have to be at a certain place at a certain time. I'm in advance. I'm just working all the time, and I have to be at home. I have glasses now that I never needed before because I have to read so much. You know, I've been reading a lot more lately too, and I, I, I don't. I have a prescription. I hardly ever wear them. They're kind of more like reading. I have a minor reading glasses too. And, and um, man, it, when you put them on, you're like, fuck, that's nice. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> God, I can actually read. <laughs> it's just like I can read fine right now, but when you put the glasses on, you. It's just like everything's so clear, right? It's so much easier. Sweet. Well, Thanks for the time, Jeff. Well, this has been great, man. We got to do another one of these okay. and uh, keep keep us updated on the campaign. I guess when do things really kick into gear? I guess probably uh, no, January. Yeah, or January. February. But we are going to be having uh, Felix Rivera, Austin Quinn Davidson, myself are going to be having a fundraiser on November fifteenth. Should be a first of its kind. Just going to be like the gays. Oh, yeah, it's definitely an LGBT centered fundraiser. But can you please use the right word? Come on. It's QI plus. Damn it, Chris. That's <laughs> queer. The queers are getting together for a party. So that sounds like it could get loose. It will. I will. Am I invited? Absolutely. Let's um, let's do a Facebook Live or something. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> All right. Uh, appreciate you coming in, Chris. Uh, it's been soon. great. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right, uh, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.